Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. My name is Sarah Century. I have two cats. One is named Shaka. The other one is named Nibs. They're really cute. And I'm Essie Flinor, and I have one dog named Poe, and he's just a little person in a dog suit. <laughs> Creepier than I thought. <laughs> thought we were going to keep it above level on that one. But <laughs> nope, never. Never, oh. never, never. Welcome. a question on Instagram. <laughs> I had to double check that, but yes, it is Instagram that we got this question from ABN. What's your favorite book you've read during Rona? For recent listeners, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it is called the Rona. That will probably still be relevant whenever this goes up. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I can't imagine it will be not there anymore. Yeah. So I know that you read a book that you were really super stoked about. I would love to hear about. Is it called Circe? Yeah. I mean, I've read more than one book, but I'll say that one book that I have read was Circe by Madeline Miller. I kind of jump in on books. I read whatever looks even remotely interesting to me. The cover is just kind of a classic Greek face, you know, so it has this kind of orange and black cover that looks really cool. I like Circe as a character, and I don't think that she has really gotten that much fleshing out for the most part. I'm talking about Circe, the ancient <laughs> Greek character. So I did Google it because I was like, wait, not the Circe from Game of Thrones. Or like the Circe from Wonder Woman. Um, oh, my God. There's so many Circes. Both, yeah, there's a few Circes, but they're all kind of based on Circe, at least in some ways. So Circe is the one from the Odyssey, right, who Ulysses goes to the island with his men and Circe turns them into animals, right? Like that's her gift. This just fleshes out her story. This kind of tells you where she's at (laughs) through the whole thing. And whenever she does ultimately start turning men into beasts, it's because literally one of them like assaults her. She opens up her island to people who are visitors because she's just like, oh, it looks like you almost died on those rocks. You're in choppy waters with this like broken ship, you know, let me help you out. And that, of course, ends up going really badly for her at a certain point. So she starts turning men into animals like pigs. (laughs) specifically <laughs> and uh you know roasting them and eating them so like, i love it that's pretty cool yeah no she feels bad about it later <laughs> i love it she gets this trajectory where she kind of starts you know being a little bit heartless like a little bit you know she's one of the gods she lives on olympus and everybody's dicks and so she's kind of just raised in this bad environment she falls in love with a mortal who becomes a god and then the once beautiful Scylla of Scylla and Charybdis fame Scylla falls in love with him and he falls in love with her and so Circe transmutes her into the monster Scylla Scylla kills all of these men and she has to live with that for the rest of her life and even whenever she comes face to face with Scylla she's like 
there's no mind behind this creature anymore. Like, I literally destroyed this person and turned her into this. She has to deal with a lot of the horrific things that she does throughout time, but also the fact that she's put into isolation, she's put into exile by Zeus on this island and stuff like that. So people start sending their bad daughters to her. <laughs> so <laughs> there's all of these women that just have terrible attitude problems, <laughs> like walking around her island. Um, and Cersei's just like, okay, don't look at me and don't be in the room with me. And these girls are like, good, I didn't want to look at your stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> i would definitely be one of those girls in this scenario and they leave after like a year if they're undergoing exile they just get sent to cersei's island and all of that is really funny and kind of messed up basically it was just like a long good examination of cersei as a character which we've never really seen so it was groundbreaking work I love, love books like that, where you, where it sort of takes this, especially, yeah. you know, female characters, queer characters who've been villainized. represented really flatly in another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Villainized and treated like they're, they have no dynamism or like reason they'd be a villain. Like, this is a weird example, but like Maleficent, I thought was oh, like, yeah. really good. I was not expecting to like it. And my partner and I were very stoned to like looking through things and we're like, let's try it. Angelina Jolie's a babe. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I mean, I think that that sounds really great. I'm gonna have to read that for sure. Yeah, it's great. And I believe that Anthony Oliveira brought up not only that he really enjoyed this book, but that there is a prequel to this that's called Song of Achilles. I am currently, <laughs> I have a wait list on the library's copy of an audiobook on it. I think I'm like number 90 or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I'll let y'all know <laughs> whenever I get In there. 43 years when it's my turn. Yeah, I have another book I want to talk about after you talk about one. Yeah, so I am reading a book that I have been like, dying to read so i went through like a kick where i was like i need to read a lot of fantasy and i got really into it and i love fantasy written by people who are not white men why i wonder because it's good and <laughs> not that they're yeah I don't, i'm not gonna qualify that statement you're good <laughs> i was and then i was like fuck that we just talked about tigra so yeah like, we're just like honestly <laughs> we've been too nice we've been too reserved with our condemnations so I read this Cameron Hurley trilogy. It was called, it's called The World Breaker Saga. And I read the first two books in like a week because I was just like, holy shit. And then I was like, all right, book three, I'm going to go find it. You know, it's got to be at the library. And I, it was the first time I had read a fantasy trilogy where I caught up with the book. So the book wasn't out yet. I thought it was, and it wasn't. And I was devastated. It's been like two or three years since that. I just got the copy in, in January, got an art copy, and it is so good. I've been reading some of Hurley's writing as she's been getting ready for this to be released. And the book is a huge, sweeping, epic narrative. And it's a little bit sci-fi and a lot of high fantasy. So it's about parallel dimensions and about how one dimension starts colonizing another, basically because of global climate crisis, their version of global climate crisis. And it is so fascinating the setting is really cool like there's semi-sentient trees and so i love a book where the environment is part of the problem you know and so like the trees hunt people and there's like bone trees that are like i'm not quite clear how they exist but they eat things and then they use their bones to like build themselves it is terrifying it is so good there's tons of cool female characters there's a bunch of different non-binary characters 
one of the strengths of it is that Hurley asked herself, like, if we're going to really take people being non-binary seriously, we really need to take it seriously. And so she has like four or five different societies in this one dimension that each have different ways of looking at gender. One of them is binary. One has three options. One has five options. There's a character who literally, as they live, they change gender. So they might be he for most of a book and then be she for a while and then be they for a while. And they literally, their body changes to fit that. So I think it's just so ambitious and it's hard to write a book like that big and there's so many different perspectives and so many different characters and I was sort of you know the first chapter when I got back into this because it's been a couple years I was like wait who's what who's what oh 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 and then it just clicked back together because again I think Hurley is just incredible and what's really cool too is you know she had one way the story was going to go it actually was supposed to come out last year and didn't come out until this year and that, you know, I'm not one of the people who's like, damn you, give me my book. But I get why some people get excited and, and intense. She really retooled it. And she was like, I don't want to write a book that's about, that is pessimistic and says nothing's worth anything and is a nihilist and like everything's going to end. She said, I want to write a book about hope and what happens when the world ends and you're still here. So it's been kind of trippy. I'm not quite done with it, but like finishing it up in a time that's kind of world endy. I've been trying to work on like an essay about what is it like to read a book about a hopeful end of the world when the world is kind of ending and it's not hopeful, but like maybe we could do something productive in the next phase. I don't know. It's just been such a fun adventure to get back to these characters and be like, oh, hi, Luna. Oh, hey, Tegan. You know, and see them be like assholes or be great or whatever. It's been just so much fun. Yeah, it sounds really good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's epic. What was another one you read? I just realized how bleak they are, actually. I was reading The Third Rainbow Girl, which is a story about women that were murdered in the 80s on their way to the rainbow gathering. Mm. And it is really devastating. It's an interesting study of the place, though, as well. So it's a true crime book, obviously. And it's about unsolved murder. So that's difficult, (laughs) fucking Christ, (laughs) to deal with. I don't really do light reading. I don't know what to tell people. But (laughs) I... (laughs) I think that it's the best kind of true crime book, right? Where it delves into the people around and the people who are affected by the situation that happens, you know, the girls' lives, how they got there, like all of that stuff, you know? All the stuff that's actually really important about these cases. Like we don't really give a shit about the murder anyway. Um, So great. Uh, But that is a just kind of devastating book. And I also am reading a book that's called The History of Concentration Camps, The Global History of Concentration Camps, which is you love to keep it light. Good God. You know, I mean, that'll tell you pretty much what that book is. (laughs) Just in the title. It is very, very upsetting, but everything has some kind of hopefulness to it. It's like if you learn more about it, maybe you can stop it, you know, that kind of stuff. Finally, I just want to say for things that are actually kind of improving my mood, unlike the reading that I do, which is almost always very bleak, as I just noted, I listen to the No Sleep podcast a lot, which is just a horror podcast that I find to be really entertaining for the most part. And I watched this movie that was called Knives and Skin, which is kind of a inversion of the dead girl trope where it's, Mm. you know, sort of Twin Peaks-ish, but it's by a woman, you know, so it's kind of better to the women (laughs) characters which is kind of the twin peaks that i've been looking for for a while um and of course i don't want anybody to come and yell at me and tell me about but like there's great powerful female characters i know but terrible things happen to them you know like and i know that terrible (laughs) things happen to the men too 
whatever. You don't have to see it. I see it. It bums me out. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, Knives totally. and Skin was kind of, for me, I, you know, the girl still dies. Like, the character behind the dead girl trope in this does die. But it's, you know, what's the fallout for a lot of the women in the community? So I think that that's a beautiful study. And there's a lot of beautiful acapella singing. So Ooh, that sounds really fun. Oh, it's gorgeous. I love that. I also, there are three sort of comic collections that I have read that I've been loving or like slash graphic novel. So I read Vita Ayala and Emily Pearson's The Wilds, which I know we made a comic of the week at some point, but like I can't talk about it enough. What a fun story. Again, dark, right? End of the world, zombies, all that jazz, but it's so exciting and hopeful and interesting and such a good twist on zombies. I found it really, like, I've just enjoyed thinking about it. Like, I just ruminate on that that story all the time. And now I just, like, think about it and I'm like, wow, that's so good. I love that so much. The other one is Bloodlust and Bonnets by Emily McGovern, which I have found just so the antithesis of the world and exactly what I need right now. It's basically like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but it's a comic and it's told with vampires instead of zombies. There's a character who really reminds me of you, Sarah, especially once I read that fanfic someone wrote about you (laughs) and you were like a lesbian vampire. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that fanfiction that somebody wrote about me. So good. Sarah Von Century. (laughs) It's so funny. That's a Josh Unruh and Daniel Swenson wrote that. And I believe that it's available. Um, Yeah. They have a Patreon. They do pulp uh, stories. And that one is so funny. Oh, my God, Sarah. (laughs) I was like, I can see Sarah doing all of this. So maybe that's why I thought of it in Bloodless and Bonnets. There's like a character who's like, you know, a vampire lesbian. She's like, hey, meet me later. And the main character's like, I shouldn't do that, right? I'm going to. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to meet her. And then, so I'm going to read you a little bit from the back of this because I think it is... Perfect. (laughs) Bloodlust and Bonnets follows the clueless debutante, Lucy. I don't agree that she's clueless. She's pretty badass. The ruthless bounty hunter, Sham. Love Sham. And the exuberant poet, Lord Byron. As they flirt, bicker, and slash their way through early 19th century Britain in pursuit of notorious vampire Lady Violet Travesty, a.k.a. Sarah Von Century. (laughs) It is just, like, so fun. It's it's Violet Travesty is my favorite name. Oh, my God. I wish I... It's so great. A, it rhymes with Sarah Century, so already off to a good start. But also, why didn't I change my name to that? That's, like, a great name. (laughs) Yes, it is just... Too perfect. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been like uh, taking a break from things and, you know, laughing about 19th century English people fighting vampires. Sham and Lord Byron are like, vampires are bad. And Lucy's like, are they? Because they seem pretty sexy to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I enjoy that trope and I've just really been enjoying that book. Sweet. Thanks for asking us about what we're reading. We really enjoyed talking about it. Yeah, they're all pretty fun books, except for the ones that I said, which are very, very depressing. (laughs) Very upsetting. But we'll teach you a lot. still buy a subscription to Decoded. For only $15, you get a story a day for every day of Pride Month. That means every day in June, you are getting a story from a queer creator about queer things, defined broadly, people in their own voices, making awesome science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comics. 
Yeah. <laughs> it sounds really cool. I'm excited to be a part of it, and we're excited to bring it to you in June. Go check out our website, decodedpride.com, and buy a subscription today. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This week's comic of the week is Captain Marvel from 2019. Written by Kelly Thompson. Art by Carmen Carnero. Colors by Tamara Bonvillain. Letters by Clayton Cowles. This comic's good. Ugh, this comic is ridiculously good. So good. I love it. I love the art. I love the story. I really like the covers. I don't know. Is there anything I don't like about it? Amanda Connor does the covers for the first stint. I was just looking up who does the covers. It's Amanda Connor, the great one who we've talked about many times. And Paul Mounts. So later the covers are less good. <laughs> These ones are really good. I love the first arc and anything that's Amanda Connor art. That means that you have that really dynamic art style that's just draws your eyes immediately so i always love to see her on covers of course well it's so textural and it, it's so exactly it just grabs you and it's like whoa this is so incredible the interior art as you said is brilliant it's really right. good at doing character expressions and faces and things while showing this epic scale behind it so that's always something that's really interesting you see a lot of these like touch base you know human interaction moments but the way that she does it is instead of doing just talking heads or a close up on the faces is usually you'll see like this 
draw back and see what is going on behind them kind of situation while they're just chatting with each other. And that's a really effective storytelling method. So I'm I'm sure that part of that has to do with the script, but the way that it's pulled off here is really good. And the artist absolutely meets that challenge again and again. I get why we have to recapitulate origin stories, especially when we're reclaiming them as feminists and as queer writers to be like, okay, that's not what happened. This is what happened. I get that. But this doesn't do a lot of that. Like, we don't really get any backstory on Carol. They're like, the movie came out. Come on, you get the point. Oh, and she's <laughs> but, just kind of building on Kelly Sudeconic's run, I exactly. think. I, it, to me, I feel like, you know, there was runs in between <laughs> these two. But I think that she's done a really good job of just doing a continuation of Kelly Sudeconic. Also, Kelly Thompson's first work at Marvel was on the Carol Core series that was uh, happening which during is Battle so World. cute. Which was written with Kelly Sudeconic. So kind of a history with the character and kind of returning to the character has been really interesting for me, just as somebody who really liked that original miniseries to watch. Agreed. Yeah, I loved Carol Core. I loved the Kelly Sudeconic run on Captain Marvel. I think I have like, if not all of the trade paperbacks, like damn near. And I think that you're right. This totally is in that lineage, picks up where KSD left it, but also is like, so refreshingly like let's just tell this story in the present let's just stay in the story and i think that that really pays off the first story arc there's an island where none of the male heroes can get on the island but so captain marvel's like well fuck it i'll go boo well she does that before she knows the men can't but you get the point point. and then it turns out time's moving differently on that island And so it's been maybe hours since people have been able to get in, but it's been weeks, months, I can't remember, on the island. And during that time, this sort of like D-list villain, nuclear man, has like created his own little post-apocalyptic hellscape where he has taken all the men and turned them into like his minions in suits. And then all the women are like freaked out and like, fuck, we got to fight these guys and fighting. So when I think that's an important background because when you're talking about them having these emotional conversations or even just like interpersonal, like, hey, She-Hulk, nice to see you. Those things are against the backdrop of machines that have exploded and just the decay of post-apocalyptic wasteland. And so you get this really cool contrast between foreground and background, really cool contrast between like the resilience and strength of the women against like this dominant will of this misogynist right i I just what's not to love and he is essentially the stand-in for all of the comic skaters and people who are just kind of shitty fans you know being like a woman you know like he actually directly says some of the stuff people were saying about the captain marvel movie and stuff so you can see that there's definitely kind of a metatextual presence there. She's kind of <laughs> making them collectively into this kind of buffoon that Carol Danvers just gets to beat the crap out of. And of course, he's through the whole thing, betraying his secret attraction to her and stuff like that. So I think that all of that was pretty interesting and gave her a lot of room to be able to be like, yeah, we're going to use this guy as a punching bag. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It, it's so satisfying. <laughs> It doesn't have to be anything beyond that, but also, you know, importantly, it is beyond that because, you know, she establishes a crew of women and that's how they defeat this guy, which is, you know, something that we've seen a lot of times recently, but it's also deserves repeating, you know, like team up with a bunch of women, knock this guy out of his seat of power. It's kind of the obvious solution. Absolutely. The broad strokes of it. But within that, there's so many deeply powerful moments between characters so like at one point she hulk and hazmat are connecting and they both 
their powers are not working on the island. And Shiok is like, you know, I've really been feeling like my powers have dominated my life lately. And it's been kind of a relief not to have them here. And Hazmat's like, yeah, same. I'm really glad I'm not just destroying everyone around me with a noxious gas at all times. And then they both get their powers back. And they know they're going to. So right before it happens, they're connecting and having this conversation. And they're like, but that's the way things are. And I'll be who I need to be when I have my powers back. And so you get this little mentor relationship in just three, five panels max. I mean, maybe even one panel. I can't remember exactly. But it was so potent. And it was so incredible to see as a comic lover. I love anytime older comic characters are reaching out to newer, younger ones, connecting with them. I love Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel's relationship. Adorable. And I think that this was, again, She-Hulk and Hazmat had this incredible moment that was, like, something we don't always talk about with heroes, about, like, yeah, (laughs) this fucking sucks. Yeah, I think, too, that later Hazmat has that moment with Carol that's really interesting. This is later in the series. Carol goes, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm being such a terrible mentor to you. And Hazmat is like, are you serious? Everything you've been doing, you're in a terrible position. You're doing everything you can to protect the people around you. And you, I mean, that sets the best example possible. You know, like, I don't want to be squishy, but I want to say, you know, you're doing a good job. I'll be happy if I become a hero like you someday. And Carol's like... Okay. <laughs> well, right, because that's like Carol's whole thing is this constant, like, I'm not doing enough. I'm failing people. because well, she's literally the most powerful being to exist that we know yeah. of, right? And yeah. so she, she constantly feels like she's not doing enough, and she's constantly holding herself back. I think of Carol as someone who's constantly torn between worlds and mm-hmm. experiences, and I think that that's what makes her so dynamic and fascinating. Always. Absolutely. I also felt like Carol Jess was so strong in this. Yeah, I wanted to add one note, which is that something that is extremely important about looking at Carol is she's also a very, very confident person. So seeing that kind of merge of being torn, being confident, being able to do things, being capable, your anxieties and your you know lack of confidence in some respects aren't erased. She feels like her human side suffers, right? And that's oh, something that, that I think a lot of us feel, you know, a lot of women who I think work really hard and have to do a lot of work of many different kinds, you can start to feel sort of burdened by that to the point where you wonder if you are still connecting with humans, <laughs> you know, in the way that you're supposed to. So I think that seeing that kind of reflected here was really interesting. That's such a good point, Sarah. I love that. It's like her internal conflict in no way makes her weaker and it makes her no less decisive and it makes her no less of a leader i mean when she gets there everyone's like oh thank fucking god please <laughs> please take over you know? yeah we need to see you punch nuclear man in the face <laughs> right now i mentioned carol jess and that's like the ship between carol and jessica drew spider woman mm-hmm. this is a very long-standing ship that started even back in like the late 70s totally well i mean they clearly have just an incredible chemistry they're funny together. I love that Jess is constantly like the, come on, take yourself a little bit lighter. Like, it's going to be okay. And then also has her own deep resonances around like, I have a kid. My stakes are really high all the time because I have a child and this person needs me. And I think that Carol, we made fun of with Stephanie Williams. We made fun of the fact that Carol owes <laughs> some child support in the movie and i feel like it's almost like that here where carol's also like this is also my kid mm-hmm. this is something that i have to i have to help jess get there and like it is my responsibility to i mean everything's fucking carol's responsibility you know 
She's like, I'm the boss of space. I'm the boss of Earth. I'm the boss of these people. I am responsible for everything. Yeah. And so their, their dynamic is so sweet. When they come out of the dome and both go to men, I was like, whoa, weird, weird. How weird? Why are you doing that? Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's so weird to watch them connect so profoundly and so consistently in a way that isn't necessarily friendship, right? Like we all have a really close friendships, but there's a difference between your friendships. It's not lesser, it's not greater, but there's a difference <laughs> between how you treat your partners and how you treat your friends. And again and again with Jess and Carol, it's just like, these two are lesbian moms. Like they oh, yeah. literally are lesbian moms, but okay, you know, whatever. I guess we're just going to do this thing <laughs> instead. <laughs> Why is Carol always jumping in to be the mom of like, like <laughs> these kids and then we still end up with straight carol for some reason got it whatever so like (laughs) there's this scene too that i loved between them where i mean i love all the scenes between them in this comic they're all really good and they don't disrespect the bond between them which i think is the most important thing you know if we're not going to have the ship you know be confirmed or denied i guess we're just going to deal with the fact that like honestly they have a very tender and real relationship in this regardless of how we view it And something that was so great was whenever Jessica is like urging her to get herself checked out. She's like, I think that you're having some sickness issues. Maybe you should go get yourself checked out. And she just kind of consistently brings it up again and again and again. There's that scene where she keeps trying to prod her into going to the doctor and actually getting checked out. For some reason, she ends up going to Tony Stark. Her and Tony Stark have this kind of adversarial relationship. So they just kind of keep exchanging barbs while Captain Marvel is on the table waiting to be checked out. And um, there's just a scene where she just keeps being like, well, and like adding and getting the last word in all of the time. And then Spider-Woman looks at her just with the most loving smile and is just like, Carol, please shut up. (laughs) And it's just so adorable because she needs to tell her to shut up definitely in that moment. But also she's telling her how much she loves her, you know, at the same time. Yes. It's how you say I love you with two words. Shut up. (laughs) It's pretty beautiful. So I loved that. I loved their relationship through this entire thing. And it's kind of one of the strongest parts of the book. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think I would say female friendships are, and, you know, with an asterisk for Carol Jess, are absolutely the strength of this work. And in so many depictions of strong women in comics and other genres and in anything, it's the sole strong woman. There's one strong usually white usually straight woman to save us all and it's nice when comics aren't like that when you can see many different kinds of women who are strong in many different kinds of ways who are from different ethnic backgrounds who have different relationships to their gender and sexuality like it's so nice to see that and and to be like wow like these are really great heroes like they're really really cool I love it. I think it's great. They currently were on the last Avenger story. I think that probably by the time this goes up, that'll have wrapped. Or will it? Industry? <laughs> Who knows? Oof. But yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I loved this book. I thought it was great. I also wrote an article about it for Sci-Fi Fangirls just because I think it's such a good continuation. I think it's easy for people to fall off of the comics sometimes because they go, Kelly Sudeconics run was great. And it's like, absolutely, here are some other great comics that yeah. you know are coming out right now that are very important to keep buying because they're all great. I mean, Kelly Thompson is just kicking it. Ass. I mean, she has a great run on Deadpool happening that is just so good. It's like peak Deadpool to me. Like, love it. I don't know. I'm really happy with her work. And I think she really cares about both the continuity, the lineage of heroes and of, of these stories, 
and in making them fresh and making them, like you were saying, metatextual. And so they're constantly commenting on the world of comics, on the world of superheroes, while really telling these super compelling stories about superheroes. And I, uh, I just love it. I agree. Really fun to read. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation. Or any other. I need you to find me. To save yourself. Of course. What else would it be? The Shared Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.